Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. This week we feature part two with one of Chicago's premier sports talk radio hosts, Mark Silverman. You know, the dark thoughts of my kids are five and three at the time or whatever they were and like, are they gonna know me? You know, are they gonna remember me? What if I'm gone? Who's gonna, like, is there gonna be someone that replaces me that they think of as their dad? All these selfish, like admittedly selfish thoughts, like, are they going to remember me? Will they remember the time they spent with me? I'm thinking about, am I going to die? The dark thoughts turned into a public display of courage, the likes of which former Chicago Blackhawks TV analyst Eddie Olchek showed when he came forward with his diagnosis of cancer. Sylvie Strong became a mantra, but two and a half years later, Sylvie is going strong with no end in sight. In this episode, Sylvie also discusses some tense moments on the air and his relationship with longtime partner Tom Waddle. Take me back just a few years when you announced you were battling cancer. This turned into a very public event the way it did with Eddie Olchek. Did you do this, Sylvie, because you were a celebrity or because it's simply very much part of your personality? Yeah, I don't do anything because I have to. Um, I just feel that what I bring on the air, like you said in the introduction about me ranting, like you'll never hear me ranting about the Bulls or the Cubs because I'm a radio guy and I'm trying to have a hot take. It's me. I'm, I'm ranty. I'm whiny. That's how I am as a fan. <laughs> it's not many yeah. people who said I'm whiny. <laughs> oh, oh, I am. I look. I, I if if I'm nothing, I am self-aware. If I'm nothing, and you know that was me sitting in the passenger seat with my grandfather as we went to Bulls games, and me complaining they they couldn't beat the Pistons, mm. and me shushing my grandfather so I could hear Copic's post-game show. Like this was me as a twenty-year-old. This was me as a fifteen-year-old. This was me as the thirteen-year-old when the Cubs got bounced from the 84 playoffs against the Padres after leading 2-0. This is still me at 50. I mean, I've obviously I've evolved, but, but the point of all that and the cancer story is what you hear is what you get with me uh, for whatever faults I have. I share stories. I share stories when I shit my pants. 
you know, I've told that before where, you know, the, the night of my rehearsal dinner, um, I gambled and I lost. And I've, t and other times, there was one time during cancer that I did that. So whatever wait, 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 happens- Wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold on a second. Let's go back here. Yeah. The night of your rehearsal dinner, you gambled and lost. Elaborate. Yes. All right. So we're at the Westin um, on Dearborn. It's that one right on the river. Mm -hmm. And we're staying in the presidential suite. Um, it's the, the night before my wedding, uh, the, the August 4th, 2012. I have to think about this. My wife's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so this is August 3rd, the day before the rehearsal dinners at Harry Carey's, which is right next door to the hotel. And I'm getting in my rehearsal dinner suit. My wife's already with her bridesmaids, like I think getting made up, going through manicures. I'm getting ready. And, you know, I've got a nervous stomach. It's the day before I get married. I got married later in life. And um, I thought I was all prepared and I thought I had to fart. And I did have to fart. But the problem was, is more came out than just oh, a fart. Oh, this is one stinky story. <laughs> yes, it is. But just like being in the right place at the right time with Michael, sure enough, the only time in my life where a bidet was available for me uh, was in the presidential suite at the Westin the night before I got married. And it was, it was like just a sign from God that yes, he knew I was going to be nervous, but he said, here is this wonderful bidet. Try it out. See if you like it. You know, it's and, funny uh, that you're saying this because now it reminds me when I did get married, I did not go to the bathroom the entire event. Eight hours what? eight long hours but you get wrapped up in so many activities that you really don't think about it so the evening is over it's past one o'clock in the morning we're standing outside it's cold outside and i realize my bladder is very full and i need to go and i take what is likely the longest leak in the history of leaking i believe i did it for about a day and a half it's incredible it's incredible. And, and I think like we all have that, those nervous times. And I, so in George, and that's the point, like I'm flawed. And um, I think that's why people identify with us. And I think that's how you identify with your favorite personalities that, that I grew up listening to. So I share stuff. I share stuff. I share my rants. I share my off the sports stories. And this was something that I wanted to share. They did an ultrasound on my, my lymph node in my neck. They did the biopsy, and it was there where she sort of examined these larger lymph nodes that were way bigger than they should be. The tears started rolling down my eyes, and I said to myself, I think I've got cancer. And sure enough, on that Sunday is before the biopsy, which we needed to confirm, but the, the CAT scan came back, and they got it immediately. I had great doctors who I could connect with even on a Sunday and they called me and they said all the signs of the CAT scan is that you have a form of lymphoma. And, you know, I, I got to admit, I mean, a, a part of it was a little selfish because it's therapeutic. Um, I learned throughout the way that I, you know, the more I spoke about it, the more open I can get, uh, the better it is to, to heal your body. I did a, like a deep dive on, on all that, the mental aspect of dealing with cancer. Um, it, it took me a while. It was about a month of the diagnosis and when I went public. 
because I wanted to make sure all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. I knew what I had. I knew what the treatment would be so I can give all the, the information possible on the air. And, and I just went with it and I never expected it to turn out the way it was. I thought there would be concerned people. I thought I'd get some love, but never did I think that I'd get the outreach that I got. Well, the support you got was really something. Um, and I, I, I imagine it just had to help you immensely. Sylvie Strong became a rally cry with, uh, replete with t-shirts. That had to be uplifting. It's incredible. Um, and it's what people told me about this army of, of not, I mean, uh, first of all, of people who are either survivors or going through it themselves. Georgia can't tell you how many people who had it worse than me, who one is no longer with us. There was this one listener and I still have it. I'm looking at it right now. He, he just passed away um, from brain cancer. And he sent me while he was going through his battle, a key on a necklace and the key said courage. And he was thinking of me, even though he was going through his own fight uh, of dealing with cancer and much worse than I had it. But he was there for me. And there were a lot of people like that. People are selfless. There are a lot of still selfless people in this world. And what that, yes, and what that does for you, it just, it lifts you up. And I try and do that now with any listener who ever DMs me and they have a cancer diagnosis, I can't give them medical advice, but I, I can always give them mental advice and sort of how to roll with the punches. What advice did you get from Eddie Olchek, who of course had his own celebrated battle with cancer? It's incredible because I always tell Eddie this, that I don't know what it was, but Eddie went through it a year or two before me, but it was, it was during the time that he was uh, doing a lot of shows with Cap on our radio station. They always knew Eddie, but I never knew him well. And I got to know him well as he was doing more stuff with the radio station. And I love the guy. Um, but I always, my ears always perked up when he was candid. And I guess this goes back to your, your point about, um, you know, did I feel an obligation that I had to tell people or did I want to share? And it always stood out to me. I'm like, wow, listen to what Eddie's going through. Listen to how real he is. Listen to... To, you know, if he if he gets choked up, he doesn't care. This is just who he is. Mm -hmm. And he was always really open about what he was going through. When I was told on August the 4th of 2017 at 7.07 p.m. that my tumor had been sent out for a biopsy and it came back uh, stage three colon cancer. When I heard those words from Dr. Scott Strong at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, the first thing I thought of was, Okay, well, how long do I have to live? And one of my first phone calls, believe it or not, before I told my mom, because um, like most moms who are worried, again, I wanted to have all my information right. I didn't want to say I don't know to her about different things. So I didn't want to scare her. I called Eddie before that because he it always stood out to me on what he went through, what he had to deal with, how successful it turned out to be for him. I said, Eddie, I just went to the doctor and this is what I, I'm dealing with. I need to find out more. What can you help me with? What can you tell me about this? And he was fantastic. And even to this day, George, two years of remission, he'll still text me out of the blue, thinking of you with a praying emoji 
and just to let me know that he's he's that I popped up in his brain and and he did that throughout my entire process of going through chemo. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. So it is April 2020. You get the news from your doctor. How did you cope with it initially? Oh, my. Uh, there was a day in um, that first week of April. I still remember it. I could still smell um, the air outside in the process that I went through because uh, I was seeing my internist and, um, you know, I had the lump, uh, uh, my uh, lymph node that was swollen in my neck and I had a one that, that in my groin was what worried me more. And I went to the, the internist and, and he told me uh, that the blood work turned out well, but he still wanted me to get a biopsy on it just to rule out cancer. So I thought I was going to get it ruled out. I didn't think I was going to get diagnosed. And then it was a Friday and it was, uh, you know, as, as the pandemic was starting to, and right before I was going down to work, that the head and neck specialist was doing the ultrasound on me before she drew the fluid out for the biopsy. And she pretty much knew right then that I had some form of lymphoma. And I'll never forget coming home uh, that night after work and just like my wife had to hold me, you know, like hold me like a baby. And I just cried in her arms, you know, and all these dark thoughts go through your brain. And then it was that Sunday when the CAT scan, I went to the CAT scan at uh, in Evanston, um, at Evanston Hospital, the Cal I think their, their cancer center is the Kellogg Center. And um, that furthered the diagnosis. And then there were still other steps, but I knew I had cancer. And, you know, the dark thoughts of my kids are five and three at the time or whatever they were. And like, are they going to know me? You know, are they going to remember me? What if I'm gone? Who's going to like, is there going to be someone that replaces me that they think of as their dad? All these selfish, like uh, admittedly selfish thoughts, like, are they going to remember me? Will they remember the time they spent with me? I'm thinking about, am I going to die and, and all this stuff? And you deal with it for the 24 hours, for the 48 hours. And then what I've always done is you get to work. Okay, now what? And I start researching it. And that's where the mental stuff really came into play, where I was a huge believer in getting the mind right. Because I believe that if the mind's not right, the body will not follow, follow the mind. Uh, and, and, and it could get worse. So I wanted to heal the mind so the body could heal. So how are you doing now? I'm doing well. I have energy now. You know, no one knows. Everyone always thinks 
cancer patients know that it's a dark place even after you're in remission. A lot of people, and it's not a fault of anybody, think that once you're in remission, everything's great. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of worry. And then the body has got to recover from chemo. Like a lot of people were surprised that that first year, you know, your body's not right. The chemo really, to heal the cancer, it beats the hell out of your body. And my workouts weren't going well. I was overly tired. I was overly crabby. So like after that year mark, I like right now, I'm like 99% energy feeling right. I mean, I'm 50, I'm getting old. Um, so I, I can't do it. <laughs> don't say, I, don't you dare say that to me. I know, I, I'm getting older, but yes, you know what you. I mean? I'm not 40 anymore. I'm not yes. 35. I used to be one of the young guys at the station. I'm uh -huh. not that anymore. I'm chasing around two young kids, but yeah, I, I feel great. And, um, you know, uh, you, you get a lot of mixed emotions after what JD, what happened to JD. Um, there's a lot of guilt there. It's just ongoing. And it's, it's why I've really taken up the fight for the V foundation. And even before I was diagnosed, why, you know, we just can't have these things continue to happen and we have to, you know, continue to advance in this thing and eventually find cures for all these horrible diseases. You just mentioned Jeff Dickerson, who I'm not sure a lot of people understood that was the most important part of who he was was not that he was a great professional, that he was a loving, caring, and wonderful human being. And the outpouring of emotion for him was to me extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And I, I think you just explained it because I was trying to understand what you meant by the word guilt. His battle which he lost had to be particularly difficult for you yeah and you sit there and you you know i mean again i still i'm open about this i still go to therapy um i believe in therapy i've i've preached a lot during this conversation that i believe a lot in mental health uh i found through the cancer wellness center um a great charity in northbrook where for cancer patients they give you eight therapy sessions for free. Um, and they do a lot more for you than just that um, because of the donations that they get. And I was able to get a therapist whose specialty is dealing with cancer patients and dealing with people who deal with grief. And we deal with this sort of stuff. And while we were dealing with, you know, uh, uh, you get a lot of different emotions when your great friend, Jeff Dickerson, your great coworker, of 20 years is in decline. And why is this happening to him? And how could this possibly happen to him after what happened to his family with Caitlin, where she passed away from cancer? It's not fair. Why have they gotten death sentences, but I'm in remission? And then, then your head says, don't ask those questions. Be grateful that you're healthy. And it's a big mind fuck. You know, should I feel guilty? Should I not feel guilty? Um, and, 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 and it just twists you up into a pretzel. So those are all important things why you go through it. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking and earth shattering to to think about what JD went through and how strong he was. And it never, he never at least outwardly showed that any of this stuff bothered him. He just rolled with the punches. This is very cathartic for me to hear because it's a gateway to understanding all of this when, you know, I'm not a cancer patient. So look at you now, married, father of two rambunctious boys. You've come a long way since growing up in Skokie. 
Yeah, I was a punk. I was a punk growing <laughs> up in Skokie. I was a punk. I was a punk in my younger years, George. When you know, I was a young reporter for GN. You think you're a know-it-all and and everything like that. So you know, I take a lot of pride in 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 you know where I've been and and what I am today. And that's job number one, like uh, dealing with the kids these times to spend with them where this where they're this awesome age they're getting to know sports my oldest likes sports my youngest and everyone's always said don't push it don't push it and i don't i like my oldest says he wants to play legos and not watch a bulls game i'm like cool go play legos talk about darth vader with me that's great my youngest he's like looking in a mirror um he mm-hmm. only wants to play catch with the football he only wants to watch Bulls games. Uh, he went from a kid who was five who couldn't sit still at the dinner table for 10 minutes to now a kid who could go to the United Center and will sit in a seat for two and a half hours and watch a Bulls game and understand really what's going on. And it's it's this unbelievable dream come true. I love it. I, I'm very happy. So, um, yeah, it's I'm very, very blessed in that regard. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. We resume with Mark Silverman on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Before there was a Waddle and Sylvie, there was a Carmen and Sylvie, as in Carmen DeFalco, who you and I both know is a first-class citizen. So you're on the air. I remember this, by the way. I believe it was opening day 2005. And you have the Sox boss, Jerry Reinsdorf, on the air. It's a great get, but a disastrous result. Yeah. Yeah. And um Anytime you get Jerry, you know he doesn't do interviews. We're the home of the White Sox. And, and Carmen and I are young, and we have many questions, and we're big Bulls fans, too. So, yes, it's opening day 2005. And, and that ends up being the World Series year, but no one knew it at the time. You knew that they had a good team, and you know that opening day is exciting. But even though we're getting Jerry on opening day, we still had Bulls questions. So we would lead, obviously, with opening day. We would talk about all the big trades. They get Scott Pesednik. They sent Carlos Lee on his way. It's, I think, Ozzy's second year as manager. Uh, uh, all the, uh, What is Frank Thomas's role? All these questions we had. But nothing was ever said to us about, hey, don't ask about this or don't ask about that. And what was going on with the Bulls at the time is they were on the up. Scott Skiles was their coach. Uh, it was Kirk Heinrich, it was Ben Gordon, um, Lou Aldang. And they were getting better, but yeah. they, also had, they also had Eddie Curry. And Eddie Curry at the time, um, it was, it was um, 
announced through the media that he had a heart problem, that he had a serious heart problem. And he was also due for a contract extension. So we have the owner of the Bulls on too. So it's opening day and the journalist and the reporter and me, you got to ask, your center is a heart problem, you know, and, and, and everything. So we started asking a couple of Bulls questions and he didn't like it. And, um, you know, by the end of the interview with the road, it went down. He said, you, you, you did the interview under false pretenses was the line. Thank you for the time today, and we didn't mean to, to try to push any buttons, just questions that we discuss or fans talk about a lot on the on the show with us. And, well, I hope you enjoy it. I hope, I, hope, I hope you enjoy it because I won't be on with you guys again. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, we, we, we no, talk this, about scouts. You conducted, talk about? You, you conducted this interview under false pretenses, and you won't get a second bite at the apple. <laughs> I remember we that. Were in an, we were at, George, we were in an Irish bar on like 14th, in Michigan, I want to say. And, you know, John Cravens was there, who was our sales guy. And, and then obviously they're getting text messages. And, and, you know, there were some in that radio station, as it was, who thought Carmen and I were too young to be hosting a, a daytime talk show at the time. I was, what, uh, 33 at the time. Carmen was still in his late 20s. And we were, we were new, we were raw, but I thought we were good. And, um, and, and I think that interview, you know, with, with Jerry then fought with, with our management, um, we ultimately made up with Jerry. I never really apologized because never was I, I never would have done the interview if I would have been told you can only ask him this. It's always something that we've, we've gone by. If you want to restrict the interview, we'd rather pass than, than do a fluff piece. Um, I want to ask the questions that I have on my mind. So um, we ultimately made up with Jerry. And so you did get another bite of the apple. Not only did we get another bite at the apple, my, my favorite part of it is we're in Houston, Carmen and me. We're still doing the show. We're broadcasting live. And Brooks World Boyer Series. at the time, who just got the job, um, gave us tickets to go to the White Sox celebration party in Houston that night. Here's the 1-2 pitch to Palmero. A ground ball past Jenks up the middle of the infield. Uribe has it. He throws. Out! Out! A White Sox winner and a world championship! The White Sox have won the World Series and they're mobbing each other on the field! So we are, Carmen and I were drinking, I, I, I always remember I had a rum and coke and I was getting hammered on rum and cokes at the official White Sox party where the World Series trophy was, where Jerry Reinsdorf was, where Ozzie Guillen flipped us off. And I, I looked at Carmen and I lifted my drink and I said, I think we're getting another bite at the apple. I will remember that night as well because I, I was covering then for the score radio. We didn't get an invitation, but then again, Schuster and I were working till two in the morning. So it was a yes. long, long You had real long. work to do. We yeah, were, you guys just were doing the real work. Working and working and working. So it's 2007, and now you're hooking up with Tommy Waddle. I had the good fortune of covering, you know, his career with the Bears and being on Rant and Rave with him on Fox 32. He is really quite a character, and you've managed to stay together now for 15 years. That's a long time in this business. Yeah, yeah. I think it's amongst the longest partnerships in the history of sports radio in this town um, and on a daily show. 
and 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 I think you, what you hit so far is that we've sort of evolved over the 15 years. You know, I was that that punk 34 year old kid. Vinny Del Negro joining us. He rose at the end of the game, Vinny. <laughs> why do you say that? Because he's your best player. What does that mean, though? You think we're ready to win a championship with all these young guys? This is this is the learning ground right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, you keep doing your job. I'll work on mine. All we'll right. Work on it. Just my tip there, Vinny. Yeah. I want to see, as a Bulls fan, I want to see D. Rose at the end of the game. Yeah. He's in there. And then now I'm a 50-year-old with, with two kids. And, you know, all of his kids now are out of the house. He had young kids when we started. The life changes, the celebrations, the battles that we've gone through, you know, the cancer thing that I, we, we had already talked about. The, the, the milestones in life, it, it's incredible. And what Waddle and I have shared together, there's no one I talk to more on a daily basis than Waddle. I don't talk to my wife longer than I talk to Waddle. That's four hours a day I talk to him. Um, and more when you talk about before the show. So it, it, it's truly been incredible. And, and I love our show. And, and I love that, like, when we started, he was, like, really a football guy who knew other sports. To now, I really believe um, he is not just a football guy. He's a guy who, who knows the Bulls so well, who knows baseball so well in this town. I have to ask this question with that in, in context. Better feeling for you as a gold glove center fielder, wherever you are in the outfield, right, field, yeah, right fielder, wherever you're at, wherever mm-hmm. you're at in the, in, in the outfield, is it more satisfying to make a, a catch that will save your team runs or more satisfying to get a big hit at the dish that helps play a few runs? Um, I will say this. It's more satisfying to get a big hit at the dish because... And really is just a fixture and, and is probably one of the most successful former athletes to ever do any sort of media in this town. When I hear this, you're reminding me of one of the bits that you do on the air. It's hilarious. It's called My Wife or My Radio Partner. So I'm wondering, is your radio partner actually your de facto wife? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. He's, yeah, he's my ra- He would not like that. But I mean... <laughs> You know, and, and I think that in, in, in all reality, I think his his role in my life is more like a big brother. And it didn't start that way because, again, he's in the burbs when I'm young and I'm single. And, you know, I'm going out on the weekends downtown. I, I Like, I'm not going north of North Avenue, George. I'm thinking anything north of North Avenue is Wisconsin. And... <laughs> And we had nothing in common. We had, you know, he's the former athlete. I'm the the journalist, bulldog reporter who lives and breathes sports, is watching sports even uh, when when time's off. When time's off for him, he's going out with his family and he's he's living a life. But as we've evolved, we've become more similar. He's taught me lessons in life. And like I said, I mean, there, there are people who, who stood up for me in my wedding, who were really, really close friends of mine, who, who maybe don't know me now as well as Waddle does. You know, Waddle and I are, are very, very tight, both on the air and off the air. And I'm proud of that after 15 years, because as you know, in this business, you know, 15 years is a long time and to remain friends and to not have, you know, any sort of bickering behind the scenes. 
Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. During your many years on the air, the Waddle and Sylvie show has had some great recurring segments from my wife or my radio partner to Would You Rather? Nicholas wants to know, would you rather one of your coworkers win the Powerball and they give you each 100 grand, or would you rather the Bears and White Sox both win championships in the next two years? Give me 100 grand. Yeah, why wouldn't I take $100,000? And then there are the guests and three standouts, Sylvie. There's Michael Wilbon, who was my very first guest on this podcast. And one thing we know for sure, Wilbon never, never met an opinion he didn't want to share. You in on Ryan Poles right now after the wheeling and dealing, Wilbon? Hell no. I'm not a guy who believes, and I'm, you know, twice as old as Ryan Poles. I don't believe in just selling off your best players. This is, we're looking at a defense right now that could have, I'm not going to say should, but could have Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, and Roquan Smith. I'm sorry, so you don't want them playing for you? And then there's the one and only Charles Barkley who does not need an introduction. Pickleball is definitely for old people. It's not some, some you do. It's kind of like uh, cornhole. Cornhole is just something to do when you got no uh, no no talent whatsoever oh man <laughs> but that's like the <laughs> cornhole the difference is that's... and finally two former bears who made for some intriguing if not disjointed radio jay cutler and brandon marshall and sometimes sylvie after listening to this someone needed a rubber room <laughs> i think you could phrase it that way i think that's a good way to phrase it um, you know, the Jay Cutler show was an incredible time for us. It was a roller coaster ride. And we are still, our relationship with Jay now is as good as it's ever been. Like we have a text chain between Waddle Me and Jay. Well, where we'll just randomly text us. Like if you, if you know him and if you're, and if he trusts you, George, I think a lot of people would be surprised what a great guy he is and, and the different things. But with me, I've always had a roller coaster relationship with him. I was sort of on, not sort of, I was on the Josh McCown bandwagon the year that he flourished and wanted Josh to continue to play. And those were the days that we were doing weekly shows with Jay. Jay wasn't happy with me. And, you know, eventually 
the show got to be too much for Jay to do in person and he was missing sh some shows and Kyle Long had to fill in. So when Brandon Marshall and Jay were together and, and they became friends again after their falling out in Denver, they decided they were gonna split the Cutler show and we would do half the Brandon Marshall show, half the Jay Cutler show. So that way, neither of them had to do all, all 17 weeks and they could split it up they still got to make money, um, but we got to be with them each and every week. And that year was the, the most dysfunctional Bears team that we've had recently. The second year of Trestman, um, the, the team that completely fall, fell apart, gave up 50 burgers to the Packers and I think then the Patriots. Yes. And um, during those shows, the there was a falling out between, again, the second time in their career, between Cutler and Marshall. And we would be, uh, we would be on the air with Cuddy, and in the commercial break at the bar, Cuddy would take off his headset, and he would say, Brandon Marshall, doing this wrong, doing that wrong, not catching this, not doing that, in it for himself, blah, blah, blah. The next week, we would do the show with Marshall. We would be doing the show, Brandon would take his headset off and he would say, fucking Cutler, not, not, I'm open, not throwing <laughs> it to me, oh. going to Alshon instead, checking it down to Forte, ask me about Josh McCown, blah, blah, blah. And I would go on the air, you know, after those shows, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we would say, look, don't think that there's not a falling out happening behind the scenes between Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall. It's not so rosy. And I remember getting a flurry of tweets. Sylvie, you want to be TMZ. You're making this drama out and it's not happening. Meantime, we were getting all this information firsthand from the horse's mouths um, both weeks. And it was just hilarious to see people like not understand what was truly happening and what we were privy to behind the scenes. I tell these stories now, we couldn't tell them back then where we were getting this information. But when you hear us tell a story about something happening in Chicago sports, please know it's not just from a random source. Usually it's from a person directly. You were just mentioning that uh, you were at the White Sox World Series in Houston as a fan, but you were also at the Cubs World Series championship in Cleveland as a fan. Not many people have had that distinction. I wonder what the club size is, you know, because <laughs> I've always wondered this because, and it's, it's something that I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate. I saw Michael Jordan's last game in person um, as a reporter in 1998, last game with the Bulls. Um, uh, I saw Tom Brady's first Super Bowl uh, in person. I saw John Elway's last game at the Super Bowl in person. And like to be a fan at, to end both of these marathons, I sat next to Carmen DeFalco. I told you the party story. We were sitting down the left field line in the stands. Carmen's a diehard Sox fan. And I was never cheering for the Sox, but I wasn't rooting against them. I'm a Cubs fan. And I just turned to Carmen as he's celebrating as they won that game four. I shook his hand and I said, congratulations. And fast forward uh, all those years later in 2016, we're sitting down the third baseline, Waddle, me, DeFalco, Yurko, 
um, Adam Abdallah, Danny Zetterman all together. Carmen was two seats over, and I'm having a meltdown during that game seven, George. I'll bet. I'll bet. Oh, my gosh. It was not <laughs> still to this day. Game seven, even though it ended well, is not one of my favorite Cubs games because I, I just thought the world was going to end. I thought this they were going to do this to me again. And I'll never forget when the last batter uh, came to the plate for the Indians. Carmen looked at me, and he says, this guy can't hit. Sylvie. Trust me, you're okay. Because remember, it was a two-run lead. It got cut down to, to one. And I'm thinking they're going to tie it again here at the very least. And then that little ground ball to, to Chris Bryant. And the Cubs have won the World Series. For the first time in 108 years, the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. And then over to Rizzo, and there was Carmen DeFalco returning the favor to me um, all those years later, shaking my hand and congratulating me. It was, it's pretty cool. But being in Houston and being in Cleveland and being two separate teams with two separate fan bases, I don't believe that that, that group of fans, like there are reporters who did it, but fans who were in the stands to see both in person is very large. Well, I can tell you unequivocally, unequivocally, I am the only person to witness the highest scoring game in NBA history and the highest scoring game in NHL history. Uh, I was in Denver in 1983 as a fan with a, a friend of mine who was the news director when I was the sports director at WSIU. Uh, he was working in the uh, news department somewhere in Denver. And the Nuggets, uh, the Pistons beat the Nuggets 186 to 184 in triple overtime. Two years later, I'm covering the Blackhawks losing to Edmonton 12 to 9. Wow. Now, if I could only find, and I, I had it, I can't find it now, the ticket and the score sheet, I'd be on eBay yesterday. Yes, I know. I have the ticket stubs from the 1988 All-Star Game. I was with my grandfather for both the slam dunk competition and Michael Jordan's MVP. And it was really the game that Michael grabbed the torch as the, the league's best player at the Chicago stadium. I bet you were there um, as yeah. a reporter. Mm -hmm. I, have the, I have the stubs for both. And I think they're worth quite a bit. The problem is 16 year old me mounted it on a piece of cardboard with glue on the back. So if I were to get it off, it would rip or or tear. Oh, you'll find think... you'll find a way. Trust me, you will. Just like I will when I tear apart this apartment looking for those two the, the, the ticket yeah. stub in Denver and the score sheet, a big score sheet uh, from the Blackhawks game. I would do this. I think we've talked about this before. You are passionate. You're extremely passionate, not only on the air but off the air. And I think I'm sure you believe this. It really makes you who you are on the air. It's it's there's no pretenses here. Mark Silverman is this guy. There are no radio bits, George. I mean, maybe my wife or radio partner and, and stick like that. But there are no there are no it, I, I'm like I always say to listeners, if you think it's a like, I hate the word narrative because I think like we have opinions and I never go with the crowd. I think what I think, and I'll never do it to stir the pot or to cause radio drama. And when people reach out to me and say, you're doing this to create buzz for the radio show, I'm like, I'd much rather you call me an idiot and say my opinion sucks 
than to tell me I'm making something up just for clicks or for likes or anything like that. I am who I am. And I'm not right about everything, but I've been more right than Ted Phillips and George McCaskey has <laughs> been about the Bears. And I think that's why we have a big fucking problem with our teams. I ask this final question to all my guests. If not for sports media, what would you have been? Yeah, I think I, I joked about this recently. I'd probably be on the street somewhere. <laughs> like many of us, I had a conference in seventh grade where I wasn't doing my homework because all I wanted to do was watch the Cubs. And my language arts teacher said to my mom, and I was in the meeting, well, what is Mark going to do with his life? Read Sports Illustrated? And I said, yes. Um, so... You know, I would probably be a teacher. I told you earlier that one of my great loves growing up was being a camp counselor. I love working with kids. I love working with my kids. I love parenting them. Uh, I loved being a camp counselor. The interaction uh, between, you know, the youth and adults is very, very important to me. And I would probably, that's probably what I've done. I, you know, I'm being a passionate guy, George, the one thing I'm ultra passionate about is doing something that you love because I didn't want to be like my dad, who is an electrician for 40 plus years, who did it because he had to support a family and probably hated most days that he went to work, you know, and would come home crabby. So whether, whether it was teaching something that I felt like could be really rewarding and fun or, or getting to talk about sports, which is super fun and super cool. Um, it was always gonna be something that I loved. Well, you're a credit to our industry, Sylvie, and you're a Saluki. Good health to you, and I hope you and Wannell are together for another 15 years. And thank you so much for telling me a story. I don't know. Thank you, George. My thanks to WMVP ESPN 1000 in Chicago, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast, and ESPN Radio for those wonderful highlights. My thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com.